Welcome to the River Life Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you will encounter Jesus and allow His words to wash you anew. May He reveal more of who He is to your heart. Here's the message for this week. Today, Josh is going to come and he's going to preach the word. And the first message he's going to preach is about the revelation of Jesus. Um, wow. I can't remember a time uh, since I moved to Singapore that my heart has been this tender before the Lord. Uh, my wife was telling me that she, since we've gotten married, she's never seen me cry so much. Um, like the past, the past week um, down at Victory Center, uh, Victory Chapel, <laughs> um, the moment I came in, I would sit down. And it doesn't even matter what the worship team is doing. It doesn't even matter what the prayer leader is doing. The moment I sat down in that chapel, I just began to weep. And I feel the presence of the Lord touching my heart in such a real way. Um, it reminds me of the times when he first aw- awakened my heart when I was in my early 20s, when I first said yes to him. But in such a deeper measure now. Because it's not an individual going through a personal revival. He's inviting an entire community to come and let his heart ignite your hearts. And uh, I'm not one of those people to like to hype things up. In fact, I'm quite anti-hype. But this is a move of the Lord. He's doing something, and it's not because we are doing anything to orchestrate it. Um, There is a sense of the sovereignty of God. Um, There's a sense of an urgency in his heart. You know, Jesus has been waiting for a very, very long time for the reward of his suffering. He's been waiting for thousands of years. How many of you would wait for thousands of years to get the thing that you gave your life for? And I feel like there's an urgency and a jealousy in the heart of God. And you know, we talk about jealousy as sometimes we say it's a negative thing, but it's really not. Envy is a negative thing. Jealousy is when we want what belongs to us. And the Bible actually says that God identifies himself as a jealous God. He says, I, the Lord, am jealous. My name is Jealous Jealousy. And when he looks at this church and he looks at the history we've been through and he looks at the ups and the downs and the trials and the testings and the the good and the bad and the wanderings and and, and wanting to leave but then coming back and, and leaving again and then coming back and all these different things that the Lord has been watching, there is a jealousy in his heart. And it's not just about us this morning. It's about Jesus getting what he deserves. And I know, and I know, and I know this, that the Holy Spirit is committed to giving river life to the Son. The Holy Spirit is committed to purifying us and refining us and bringing us to a place of total, complete abandonment to Jesus. Because it will be an indignity on the wedding day For the bridegroom to be ready, radiant, glorious, longing for his bride. And he has a bride that doesn't care. And the Lord is doing that in our midst. Can you perceive it? And it's been hard. This first week has been full of, I mean, I won't mince words. There's been spiritual warfare. There's been pushbacks. Uh, You know, every time something like this happens, something happens to my son. And it, 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 like... As a father, I was like, God, there are times when I'm like, God, is it worth it? But just one glimpse. Just one glimpse of who he is. And there's no question about it. He is worthy. Family, he is worthy. Do you know how how to tell if something is worth anything to you? You know, like this phone, it's not the latest, but you know, it's worth a lot to me because if you remove this phone from my life, I don't know how to call my wife. That's like 70% true. I think I sort of memorized it, but sometimes I still enter the wrong number. If you took away this phone, I wouldn't know how to get to Harborfront from here. (laughs) If you took away this phone... 
and I needed to order something on Grab, I'd have to ask Pastor Ernest to help me. Love you. <laughs> and the reality is, if this thing is taken away from my life, my entire life falls apart. It's in shambles. And I realized that I can't live without... Well, this sounds so bad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I can't move without this. How much is he worth to you? How much is he worth to you? If you take him out of the equation... Does your life still go on as normal? If you remove him from the equation, does life go on as if nothing had changed? And if it does, may I provoke you this morning that maybe he's not, as much, he's not worth as much to you as you thought. And maybe this 21 days is a season for us to come back to him and say, Jesus, we're confronted with how we've put other things before you. But that's not okay. We want you more than we want the latest iPhone, more than we want Taylor Swift concerts, more than we want any of these things. We want you more than anything this world can offer. And if the 21 days, well, 14 days left, so those of you who have not jumped in, now is your uh, express course, right? These 21 days has the potential to shift the affections of our heart in such a way that it would move the trajectory of our life. How many of you have said, I'm tired of playing church? Maybe now is the moment that the Lord wants to realign our hearts. It will cost you something. If you don't live in Pasiris, it doesn't make sense to drive here every single day. But how far did he go to pursue you? And this is my, this is not, I don't know why I'm talking about this, but I, this is what I'm feeling in my heart in this moment, that, that there is an invitation and, and sovereign invitation must always be met by human intention. The Lord gives an invitation, we have to say yes or no. We don't get to put maybe and then like ignore it for the rest of the 21 days. We either say yes or no. And my prayer is that many here would say yes. Amen. So we are starting this series, well, we're kind of in the midst of this series, but I'll explain to you why I say we're kind of in the midst. Um, my, I, have the, I have the privilege of connecting the dots for us. Um, if you've been in River Life for any period of time, sometimes you're like, how does this connect to that? How did what we just did connect to what's going on now? And being a why guy, I like to ask why. I like to figure out where are things going. And, and I just wanted to start and offer this to you, especially if you're like me and you're like, I know the Lord's moving. I know we're doing something. I know we're all saying yes to him, but where is this going? And I, I just want to connect a few dots for us. So we just finished a sermon series called The Prevailing Church, right? Right? Yes. And we were in the book of Acts. Very good. You were here. And the book of Acts um, is really the story of the early church. And the early church prevailed because the death the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus was so fresh on their hearts. It had just happened. You know, it's like that, that period where you, like if you just celebrated your birthday, that you suddenly feel like, oh yeah, I just turned like 39 or whatever. Or you've just celebrated an anniversary. It's like, oh wow, I just renewed my vows. It's, it's that fresh in your mind. And because it was so fresh in the minds of the early church, it drove them towards the Great Commission because the end goal of the Great Commission is not that everyone gets saved. The end goal of the Great Commission is that Jesus comes back. And the man that they loved with all their heart and soul, the man that they journeyed with three and a half years, day in, day out, who was taken away from them up into the clouds, there was a way to bring him back. What would you do to bring back someone that you love who you've lost? And they had marching orders. All they had to do was say yes to the Great Commission. And what drove them was not religiosity. What drove them was not a sense of Christian duty. What drove them was not, oh, if I don't do this, then I'm guilty of, of disobeying. What drove them was the freshness of Jesus being taken away and a desire for him to come back. And we fast forward. To the church in Revelation, which is where we're going to camp out in the next few weeks. And I call the church in Revelation the church at the end. 
the church at the end of the age. And, and where the early church, we called it the prevailing church because they prevail in a season of trials and persecution. We call the end time church the overcoming church. And you will hear this over and over over the next few weeks as, as different ones come in and expand on the word of God. You will hear this phrase, to him who overcomes. And when the Lord gives us a direction like that, to him who overcomes, it's not just something that's airy-fairy and up in the sky. It is a prophetic promise that the church will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And so where the prevailing church, the early church, was driven by the sense that Jesus had just been taken and they wanted him back. The end time church, where we are right now, we're driven by the fact that he's been gone for far too long. And we want him back. And we will do what it takes for the lamb to receive the reward of his suffering. The common denominator of both the church at the start and at the end is a wholehearted love, even unto death. For Jesus, and to be willing to do whatever it takes for him to return. That's a big dot connector for you. How many of you were here last week? Pastor Philip Lin, I was so stirred. Because one, it's my homeland. Two, I grew up watching videos like there was the Barrio revival. There was, a, there was another revival that happened like when I was in my like late childhood, <laughs> early teen years. And I remember watching videos of literal tongues of fire appearing over people in the interiors. Literal tongues of fire. And hearing, so, uh, hearing stories of... Um, so, so one of my dear friends is actually the daughter of the man who wrote the book, The Bible Revival. And hearing crazy stories of how angels appeared to her aunt who was illiterate. And could, so could not read, could not write, right? And the angel begins to teach the aunt how to read so that she could read the word of God. She stood there for a couple of hours with, with flashcards and then like knocked her down. And then she came up and, and she was able to read and write. She wrote a letter to her husband. And the husband said, uh, she asked the husband, do you know what this is? She said, yeah, I can understand, of course. And the husband was like, who wrote it? And she said, me. He said, don't bluff. You cannot read or write. And she told him what had happened. I've heard of those stories. I've heard of stories of young boys being so gripped by the move of God, by revival that, that all of a sudden, right, the, the, they, had, they had this urgency to go and share the gospel and they had to walk through the interior villages in the middle of the night and they couldn't so the Lord would light the leaves of the trees so they could see where they were going. If God can speak and light his form, why can't God do that now? And I grew up reading those stories and maybe somewhere along the way it just became something that I archived in the back of my mind. But hearing Pastor Philip last week brought back all those things, flooding, like, uh, flooding back into my memory. And, and there's a desire not to see God do the same thing, but a desire that we are headed for even greater things. And as I was sitting at the back, he gave me three responses that I want to give to you guys. Because from after this point, I'm not going to give any more three points or whatever. These are your only three points. If you like three points, this is it, okay? So this is how we want to posture our heart. From what Pastor Philip talked about last week. Number one is we want to honor previous moves of God. Because honor unlocks inheritance. You cannot receive or drink from something. You know, like when we come, when I come and I stand here, you know, I, I don't count it, I don't take it lightly because you are releasing honor to me. The fact that you would sit there and not, you know, be on Shopee right now, uh, unless you are, then I'm sorry. But <laughs> you could, you're looking at me right now and you're giving me honor. And because you've given me honor, you can receive from what the Lord wants to say through me to you. And it works this way as well. It works in your cell. It works in, in your little groups that you meet with. If you give honor to the person next to you, you can receive from them what the Lord wants to give to you. And so honor previous moves of God. Become students of past revivals. Read the Baru revival. That's the closest revival I know that in this region. Read about the clock tower revival. Read about all these things that would stir your heart and say, God, if that's normal. You know, we were at the YA gathering and Pastor Ben said something that gripped many of our hearts. He said, what if normal in River Life looked like people who were wholehearted for God? Do you know if you're lukewarm and everyone around you is lukewarm, you don't know you're lukewarm. You only know you're lukewarm if people around you are not lukewarm. 
And then you suddenly realize something's wrong with me. But what if normal here in this house were people who were on fire for the Lord? That the closer they get to the finish line, they're not thinking about retirement. The closer they get to the finish line, the more they desire the Lord to have what He desires. What if that happened? And as we study it past revivals, what it does is it makes us realize we are part of a grander story. A greater narrative that doesn't begin and end with us, our church or our generation. So number one, honor previous moves of God. Number two, we hunger for God to do something new. Looking at what God did before should make us desire for Him to do something new. The thing about these past moves of God that we know and we love and we read about and we want God to do it again, right? The thing about it is back then when they were going through it, they didn't know what was happening. If you were here last week, those boys in that schoolroom did not know that they were going to start confessing about chickens. You all here, right? I thought that was funny. It was like, I stole your chicken. Oh, yeah. I thought it was hilarious. And uh, listening to the, the, the man who wrote the book, he was saying that uh, when the Holy Spirit came into that room, like these 13, 14, 15-year-old boys started crying and said, the other day I stole your eraser. Here, I give you back. It was that kind of conviction that came upon them. But they didn't know what it was unto. They didn't know it would lead to repentance and revival. They just knew that God was doing something and they wanted to be a part of it. Pastor Philip talked about the Toronto outpouring, right? In 1994, when, when, when all those things happened in the uh, Toronto Vineyard Airport Church, right? And when all those things happened, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know that the Lord was going to release the revelation of who He is as the Father, You know, this morning we sang about it, right? He's our father. He's our dearest friend. We sing about it because previous generations have mined the wells of revival so that we drink of it. And today we think it's just part and parcel. But before that period, it was not commonplace in the church. It was new. And it makes me think, what is the Lord releasing in our midst at such a time as this? What is the Lord doing in this hour As we hunger for Him to do something new. So number two, we hunger for Him to do something new. Number three, just because we need another H, we hallow who He is. We don't get to tell Him what we want Him to do, but as we behold Him, we begin to desire what He desires. As we begin to see Him as holy, we hallow the name and the nature and the character of God. That becomes our doorway into intercession. Because all of a sudden, as you gaze upon Him, you will see things in your life that He doesn't like. You will see things that you've done in secret that He loves. And it will rewire your affections that you begin to pray for what is on the heart of God. So it must begin with a fresh revelation of God. A fresh move of God must begin with a fresh encounter with who He is. And that's why these 21 days are so critical. I just want one thing to say and then I'll start the sermon. I haven't started yet. (laughs) Revive us, Lord. It's a 21-day fast. And all we want to do is hear what the Spirit is saying to us as a church. All we want to do is come into alignment with him as the head of this house. When was the last time we did that? When was the last time we said, Jesus, all we want to do is hear you lead us. You are the perfect leader. And, and this is the crazy thing. I don't know. I've not been here very long. But as far as I've been here, this is the first time that this has happened. Where all the different congregations are coming into alignment. In fact, this sermon series that Pastor Ernest told us, Ernie told us that we're, <laughs> we're going to do, <laughs> it didn't start with EA, you know? Do you know who it started with? Technically, it started with Super Life. That we realized after the Lord spoke to us, and their, their syllabus is planned two years in advance, right? So you talk about the divine timing and alignment of the Lord. Two years in advance, the very day that all this starts to shift for us, and we're asking the Lord, where are we going next? You know, if your kids came home and they start talking about Jesus with the eyes of fire, that's Revelation 1. And somehow in God's divine order, He had waited until this moment and it's even the children who first got there. That blows my mind. Because coming to Jesus is coming like a child. We think we've got it all planned out, but really maybe it's the children who will lead us. 
And then the Lord spoke to Pastor Betty, Chinese congregation. The Lord spoke to Pastor Ray, Filipino congregation. And when they shared with the staff, there was a witness, a collective witness, that this is actually what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as a church. And so for the first time since I came here in October 2017, all these different congregations are saying we are hearing the Lord say the exact same thing. We're coming into alignment with Him. That stirs my heart. More than having the same sticker or the same font, which is great, I love it, is that we would have the same heart for what God wants to do. And so as we look at the churches in Revelation over the next few weeks, you know, seven is the number of completion and, and these churches represent the churches that, 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 that exist all throughout history. There is the historical context of the circular letter of the seven churches, but we're looking and we're asking the Lord, God, what are you saying to the church today that you spoke all the way back then? It's an unusual season. And he's preparing a new wineskin for us to receive new wine. I said this at the young adults camp, that new wine requires new fasting. Matthew 9. And these 21 days of fasting is not for him to do something, but for us to realign with him so that we would desire what he desires. Let's begin. Revelation 1. I approach this and... I'm going to try and do the impossible and finish this in 20 minutes because today, if you notice, we, we cut short worship. Uh, it wasn't cutting short because if you approach a, a passage like Revelation 1, you don't get to go away with three points of how to do Re Revelation 1. You actually just got to love him and behold him. That's what we're going to do together as a church. But I approach this with excitement and dread. Excitement because it's so much a part of who I am. I've meditated on Revelation 1 for so many years. But dread because I realize that unless the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes, these are just descriptions of who Jesus is. There's not going to be three practical steps. I'm sorry, Moses, I was supposed to write the, the thing, you know, like a study guide and all that. I said, I really don't know how to write this study guide. I'm just like, the response is, love Jesus. Right? Worship Him. Sorry, Ernie. You have to uh, go write later. Um, but, and, and that's not even a hundred percent concrete black and white answer. And we love to do that, especially in Singaporean education system, right? There's always the right answer and there's always a wrong answer. But when we come before the Lord and we read things like there were creatures with eyes on the front and the back, on the inside and the outside, what do you do with that? Angels. We think of angels as precious moments, little kids with big bellies, playing on harps and clouds, and we think, oh, angels, come. Why are they scared? No, they have eyes all over the place. And this is the kind of description we get in the book of Revelation, and we don't get a black or a white. We don't get, oh yeah, there are 144,000 eyes on the person. We don't know these things. All we can do is come and wonder. All we can do is stand and behold and say, Jesus, you are so much greater than my puny little mind. Would you blow it open and cause me to see what the angels see? And we're going to do that. We're going to walk through this Revelation 1 in the next 20 minutes. And then we're going to respond to him. And I'm believing that many of you will see him in a new light for the first time. So this book, the Revelation of Jesus Christ. By the way, this book is not called Revelations. It's revelation because it is the revelation of a man and a revelation of his plans. The book of the revelation of Jesus Christ is a book of majesty. Everyone say majesty. It's a book of mystery. Everyone say mystery. And it's a book of misery. Everyone say mis misery. But the primary theme of this book it's not mystery or misery. The primary theme of this book is majesty. We have to approach it with the right lens. Have you ever watched a movie on mute? It changes the experience completely. The grandeur of Lord of the Rings, right? Without the sweeping symphony of Howard Shore. Da, 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 da. Oh, you know, that feels, if you just mute it, it's just like, you know, a tourist ad for New Zealand. Or the saga of the epic sci-fi Star Wars, right? All these things, right? Without, without the heroic theme of the music of John Williams, it's just a bunch of people in masks running around with little pink and blue lasers shooting around. 
but it changes completely. Or have you imagined, okay, this is interesting. Have you ever imagined watching a scene from a movie, but remixed with music from a different genre? I did this once. I don't know where I saw this. Somebody sent it to me, I think. I grew up watching Disney shows, right? Um, and one of those shows was Mary Poppins. Anyone? Not the remake with Emily, what's her name? The other Emily something. Blunt, not our Emily here. Um, but it was this, it was this, uh, this childhood show that I loved, right? Spoonful of Sugar, Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, all these things, right? And someone sent me this trailer of Mary Poppins remixed to a horror music. <laughs> and they called it Scary Mary. <laughs> And where the lovely lullaby that Mary sings to the children, she's like, stay awake, don't close your eyes. And he's putting them to sleep, you know, feed the birds, all that kind of thing. They suddenly change it to like, stay awake, don't close your eyes. It's like, oh my gosh. And this is like dismantling my entire childhood, you know. I was like, I grew up watching this and now supercalifragilistic feels so scary, right? But that's how we approach Revelation. We've watched the horror trailer of Revelation and there are beasts, there are dragons, there is a woman drunk on the blood of the saints, but we forget that the point of Revelation is that it's revealing Jesus and what he wants to do. It's an epic culmination of the story of all of human history. It's a triumphant love story of a bridegroom who overcomes evil to have his bride. But if we think it's a horror story, we interpret all the events through a lens of fear. And that's what struck me. For the longest time, I I read up to Jude. And I agree with some people who are arguing, you know, those people who had to decide when, if Revelation was in the book, it's like, I was like, well, if Revelation was in the book, it would be a lot easier to read. I can read the Bible before I go to sleep at night. But Revelation is kind of scary. But you know, my breakthrough was when I opened my Bible and I saw the title of the book. It says, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And it struck me in that day that if I truly, truly, really love Jesus with all my heart, I don't get to pick and choose the parts of him that I love. To love him wholeheartedly is to love him fully. Every aspect of who he is. So do we really know this Jesus? Not the baby Jesus that we sing about every Christmas. Not the man on the cross that we celebrate on Good Friday. But the majesty of the resurrected Christ that John saw. And with what little time we have left today, I'm going to dive into three parts. The third part is when we go into worship. So it's really just two parts. So part one is prologue. Part two is portrait. And part three is posture. This is the setup for the next few weeks where we will look at the letters to the churches, but how we respond today is how we respond to what is said in the next few weeks. And in Revelation 1, Jesus gives the clearest picture of who he is. There are 18 descriptions of who he is. Revelation 2 and 3, which we'll talk about in the next few weeks, he, it gives us the clearest picture of what he wants in the church through his seven letters. And so today we're just going to, we don't have time to do everything, but we're just going to zoom in on a few things And then we're going to respond to it. So Revelation 1, verse 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's how this sermon is titled. That's the first thing you read in this book. And this word revelation, in the Greek, it's apocalypsis, which is where you get the word what? Apocalypse. But when you use a word like that, you think doomsday. 
You think, oh no, end of the end of the world. Oh no, bad things happening. But really what this word means, apocalypsis, the word means to unveil. And so this book really, this chapter really is to unveil who Jesus is. How many of you have said, open the eyes of my heart, God. I want to see you. We're asking for an unveiling. We're asking for him to show us who he is. And that's what this book intends to do. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It shows who he is. He's a man with a plan. He looks different than we think he is. But the question I ask is, who is revealing Jesus? And it says, the Father, God is revealing him. And I think about the emotions of the Father when he wants to reveal the Son. You know, lately I've been, I've been reading a lot of stuff about like, don't post stuff about your kids online, stuff like that. And I'm like, I really, I love my son. And I want to like, look at him. And like, when I'm old and can't remember things, I will look back on those times. So maybe we'll set up a private account. I don't know. But th- there's this thing in your heart as a father, you want to show off your kid. You want people to see, look, he can, he can sing, but it's kind of out of tune at, the, at this moment. But to me, it sounds like music in my ears, right? We, there's something in the heart of the Father that longs to reveal the Son. Imagine what the Heavenly Father wants to do to the Son. Imagine for thousands of years, even the first time that Jesus came. See, the difference in the first and second coming is this. The first coming, Jesus didn't exalt himself. He came to reveal the Father. There was a joy in the Son's heart to make his Father known. He said, I came to reveal the Father, right? And there were things in the Father's personality that we did not know about until Jesus comes onto the scene. And it's like he was saying, you know the God of Israel, but do you really know my Father? And he taught us to pray, Abba, Papa, our Daddy in heaven. But the Father has the same zeal in his heart. The second time that Jesus comes back, the second coming of Christ, the Father is going to reveal things in Jesus' personality that we have never seen before. He will be exalted to the highest place over every nation and He will not suffer the indignity of coming unannounced. Imagine the greatest being in the universe coming to the earth and only a few shepherds saw Him. Wow. If that happened with your prime minister here and he came to Malaysia and no one greeted him, guess what? JB Doss will be closed after that. <laughs> but to the degree that the person is honored, it's the degree that he is welcomed. It's the degree, the degree that we open up everything and say, come on in. And so the indignity of his first coming, but the glory of his second coming. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This word in Greek, it means to happen quickly or suddenly coming to pass. You know, I like to do this uh, sometimes when people ask me, hey, when, when can you send it to me? I said, soon. And then they go, okay, okay. So like in the next few days, I said, you know, Jesus said it's coming soon, right? <laughs> but the point is, this word soon doesn't just mean in, in terms of time, it means suddenly when it starts to happen, everything happens very, very quickly. But it also demonstrates an urgency in the heart of the Father to reveal the Son. Verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Do you know that this is the only book in the Bible that has a blessing attached to the reading of it. Do you see why the enemy doesn't even want us to open this book? Just by reading aloud this book, the Lord says, you are blessed. I will bless you if you do this. But this is also the only book in the Bible that has a curse attached to it. If you flip all the way to Revelation 22, it says that if anyone adds to this book or takes away from the prophecy of this book, I will curse him with plagues and all that kind of thing. Do you think it's important to the Lord that he would attach both a blessing and a curse to this book? So the rest of this chapter, the prologue is filled with so much. Just the descriptions of who Jesus is in the book of Revelation. Some years ago, uh, you, some of you might know uh, Reverend, Reverend Daniel Lim, right? Um, he used to come up to the house of prayer where I used to lead. And one day, uh, the day before he arrives, he sent us a PDF. Usually speakers, when they come, they'll send us a PDF of notes that we print, 
right? And then we we give it to the people, and then uh, we we go through the notes. He sent me a PDF that was a few hundred pages long, <laughs> and he says the descriptions, the hundred and twenty descriptions of Jesus in the Book of Revelation. Oh my gosh, that man is a Bible teacher. And we started doing like four. <laughs> we did four descriptions. But it took us one week to even get through four descriptions. If you think about this, it says Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. If you would meditate on that one phrase, faithful witness. We talked about it a few weeks ago. The word witness is from the Greek word martyrion, which is martyrdom, witness even unto death. Jesus was faithful as a witness to what God, his father, wanted to do, even unto death. He was the firstborn of the dead. Not just that he was the first, but that he would be preeminent among all who will be resurrected. He's the ruler of the kings on the earth. Even that phrase, if we think about it, oh my gosh, it would change the way we live. Which is why it says in, in, in verse 3, Blessed are you if you take to heart who keep what is written in it. Because if you take this book seriously and you keep what is written in it, it will change the way that you live. It says that he loved us and he washed us from our sins by his blood. That phrase, does it make you even stop and go, thank you, Jesus? Because earlier this week, my son had diarrhea. And I definitely loved him, but I will wash him before I love him. You know what I mean? <laughs> wash him, make him clean, then come and hug him. The Bible says that he loved us, then he washed us. Let that hit your heart. When we were covered in the sin, the poop of sin, <laughs> he loved us first, and then he washed us by his blood. And it says, behold, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And when Jesus comes, he will be surrounded by clouds. Acts 1 says the same way that he went up. He went up and he was covered in clouds, right? That's the same way he's coming back. But there's also another meaning in this where in Hebrews it talks about the great cloud of witnesses. He's coming back with clouds, but he's coming back also with a cloud of witnesses. Can you see it? Can you see the glory of that day? Where multitudes of believers, those that we've said goodbye to, those who have walked with the Lord, have been taken up into heaven, will come back to make the final destination a new heaven and a new earth. We're not disappearing somewhere in the cosmos. He's renewing the earth. All things will be made new. Our Father in heaven is also going to be our Father on earth. We get to walk with Him. We get to talk with Him. Does that blow your mind? Or have we stopped thinking about what is to come that we're so focused on the present that we've lost the blessedness of our hope that is his return? And all this is just the prologue. I could talk way more about this, but part one is prologue. Part two is portrait. What comes to mind when we try to picture Jesus? I'm sure we've seen Different artist impression. Maybe this comes to mind. Do you want to show the first? <laughs> this is scary looking, Jesus. Or through the years, there have been multiple recreations or imaginations of what Jesus looks like. Pick your favorite. That's Hollywood Jesus over there. That's uh... <laughs> and I know uh, Ernie preached about this once and he talked about there's a digital recreation of what Jesus would probably have looked like because he was a Jewish man who lived in Galilee, right? And so it would look something more like this. In fact, Isaiah said that he was like, he had nothing of note that we would look upon him. Like you probably walk by him. If you're at NTUC, in fact, you might step aside from him and say, oh, this guy, his beard is not clean or not. But all these are just imaginations. We don't know. We don't know what he looks like. They've taken the skulls of people in the past and tried to recreate what a Jewish man would look like in that era. We don't know. The only place in the Bible that we actually do know is this next portion that we're going to read. This is the only heaven-approved portrait of the man Christ Jesus. And verse 12, it says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. 
And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. So John hears. I'm going to get the worship team to start making their way down. And the Lord speaks. And he turns. And the first thing he sees are lampstands. He doesn't even see God first. He doesn't see Jesus first. And then he sees in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. My friends, we're going to go through this description, but I'm not here to tell you what I studied about it. I'm here to paint a picture of Jesus and ask that he would encounter us. And so in a little bit after, I'm going to share a little bit more, but I'm going to actually go through description by description. And as we do that, can we turn it into worship of the Lord? Can we say, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see who you really are. So it says, I turned to see the voice. This is John, the beloved, turning to see the resurrected Christ. Imagine, he had just lost Jesus. And now... There's an opportunity. Jesus saying, I am Jesus. If you haven't seen a friend for a long time, and suddenly from behind you, the person was like, hey, I'm here. You would whip around and like, what would be in your heart? That longing to see him. Oh, I remember what he looks like. I remember the scars. I remember all these things, right? I remember when we were on the beach and we had fish together. I remember the look and the smell and who Jesus is. He turns around and he sees something completely different completely different. And what he saw was the Son of Man in Daniel 7. Daniel, in his 21-day fast, was given a vision of the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days. And it looked nothing like the Jesus that he knew. See, we know Jesus as the Lamb. He came to suffer and die for our sins. He's meek, he's lowly. But who John was encountering was Jesus the lion who's coming back to rule and to reign with power and glory. Do we know the lion and the lamb? We surely sing about it. Or do we just know the lamb? This was the same man that at the last supper leaned his head upon Jesus' chest. And now he falls before him as if he were dead. Who is this Jesus you know? Tozer says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Who is this Jesus that you know? I want to invite you to gaze upon him. I'm going to read through some of these descriptions. If it helps you to close your eyes, go ahead and do that. But would you open your heart? As I describe to you, my best friend, As I describe to you the one that I will give my life for, may your heart become awakened. He's clothed with a long robe. Jesus, you are a priest forever. You are the great high priest. The goal in the sash around your chest. God, that speaks of how the high priest would have threats of gold. But more than that, it also speaks of your kingly authority. You are a priest and you are a king forever. And this is a revelation of who you are. You're not just my savior. You're my great high priest. You're my sovereign king. His hair was as white as wool and as white as snow. Jesus, your hair speaks of your holiness, of your purity. But it also speaks of your wisdom. You are the ancient of days. And as we look at your hair right now, with the eyes of our heart, may we be struck this morning by the purity of your ways. Jesus, we sing about it. We sing about how you are a holy God. There can be nothing unholy before you. And and we hear those words, but one look of the holiness of Jesus And it becomes so obvious why holiness and unholiness cannot coexist. You are so holy, Jesus. You are so wise. You're eternally wise. You're the very wisdom of God. 
And his eyes were like a flame of fire. Jesus, we want to stare into those eyes now. Those eyes that are like a flame of fire. Those eyes that burn with zeal and jealousy. That looks into the hearts of men. You know my thoughts even before I speak them or before I think them. Jesus, you have eyes of fire. Jesus, look at our hearts. Look at our lukewarm hearts, Jesus. We want to see your eyes of fire. We want to see the zeal in your heart, the jealousy in your heart. How much you hate sin. How much you love us. Jesus, show us your eyes. His feet like burnished bronze. Jesus, you are the judge who will judge all that your eyes have seen. Your feet are like burning brass. It's your majesty. It's your righteousness. You, in, you discern the intents and the thoughts of my heart. You are the only man who is worthy to judge. You're forever man. You're the God man. When you went up to heaven, you didn't become disembodied. You kept the scars in your hands. God, it is a reminder that only you, Jesus, are worthy to judge the nations. And you are a righteous judge, Jesus. Jesus, is coming a day when every wrong will be made right. And when we see your feet, those burnished bronze feet, we remember that you are a righteous judge. And he had a voice like the sound of many waters. Jesus, I remember that moment when I stood on that boat before the Niagara Falls. And the sheer majesty of the roar of the sound of waters so gripped me. I couldn't even hear the people next to me speak because it was thundering. It was thundering. I could feel the intensity. I could feel the power in the roar of that waterfall. And Jesus, your voice is like the sound of many waters. Jesus, when you speak, your enemies will flee. When you speak, darkness has to go. That is the power that is in your voice. Jesus, when was the last time we heard your voice? Yes, there is a still small voice. But when you begin to roar in Isaiah 42, when you begin to speak, the nations will tremble. When you begin to speak, we will fall upon our face before you. He had seven stars in his hands. You hold the churches. You hold its messengers. You hold river life, Jesus. Jesus, you are jealous for this church. Jesus, even when we try to move away, when we try to say no, we feel your hand, both of mercy and of power upon us. Jesus, you hold us in the palm of your hands. And there was a sharp sword in his mouth. Jesus, the word that comes out from your mouth. It would have the power to judge. It would have the power to destroy the works of the evil one. It's a two-edged sword. Jesus, that's the need of the hour. God, I'm asking that many who behold you today, God, that they will be awakened to this need for the word of the Lord to run swiftly. For the word of the Lord to be declared, not just from the pulpit, in our workplaces, in our homes. Like a two-edged sword, let it be released, God. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength.
Have you ever tried to stare at the sun before? He's so much greater. We sing that song. He wraps himself in light. What kind of God uses light as a t-shirt? That must mean that the radiance of your face is far brighter than the brightest sun. And that's why you will be the lamp in the, in the new Jerusalem. You say there will be no more sun because this, the lamb will be the light in the city. Jesus, how radiant are you? We have not even begun to ask. But tonight, uh, this morning, God, I'm asking, would you reveal the radiance of your face? The radiance of who you are, so much greater than the darkness of my heart. It's so much greater than my sin. It's so much greater than these lesser affections that I've given myself to. The, the things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory, the light of His grace. In verse 17, it says, When I saw Him, I fell at His feet as though dead. He laid His right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades write therefore the things that you have seen those that are and those that are to take place after this as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches it says when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead River Life, we looked at the prologue, we looked at the portrait, and now we embrace the posture that John embraced. Can I invite you to stand to your feet? Let us behold this man. Maybe it's the Jesus that you never knew. But this is the man who is coming back. And today, God, we're not looking for more information about you. We're asking for revelation that will transform our hearts. So we're going to spend the next 20, 30 minutes just worshiping the Lord. That is our response today. It's not an altar call, but we will behold Him and worship Him together. Just lead us. Thank you for listening to the River Life Podcast. We hope that you've encountered Jesus through the Word. If you'd like to connect with community or find out more about River Life Church, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or head on over to riverlife.org.sg. God bless and have a great week ahead.